0: I'm Sarah Lipman. Welcome to Tarati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today, we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 5. Chapter 5 opens, from verses 1 through 10, with the genealogy of the tribe of Reuven and their settlement on the east bank of the Jordan River, followed by the records of the tribe of God, verses 11 through 17, and then by the half of the tribe of Manasseh who lived near Reuven and God on the eastern bank of the Jordan. They are followed by the genealogy of the tribe of Levi, the third born of the tribes. Why were the families of Yehuda and Shimon given precedence to that of Reuven? We would have expected to hear about Reuven first as the first born son of Yaakov. And yet, Yehuda and Shimon his brother were enumerated previously in the last chapter that we learned. Why is that? Verse 1 and 2 explain, Uvne reuven b'chor Yisrael, and the children of Reuven, eldest born of Yisrael, meaning Yaakov, Kihuha ha for he was the oldest son, Uvechalalo Yitsue aviv, and when he disrespected the bed of his father, nitsna b'choraso, his status as the firstborn son was given over Livne Yosef ben Yisrael to the children of Yosef, the son of Yisrael, v'lo and he no longer was associated with the status of being the firstborn. Ki Yehuda gavar it was Yehuda who had strength over his brothers u'lenagid Menu, and became the king over them v'habachora and other aspects of being the firstborn son were transferred to Yosef. What is the concern here that divrei Hayamim is clarifying, and how do these verses explain what we need to know? In this book, Ezra is intent on demonstrating to us that what makes a person a firstborn or primary is his leadership, not his birth order. Similarly, what makes a person the descendant of someone else is not so much where his genetic material came from, but where his inspiration came from. As always, Ezra is focused not on the history per se, but on the reality and the inner meaning of who people became. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch provides a foundational principle. In any endeavor, if I want it to be elevated, if I want it to be consistently full of spirituality and awareness, then when I begin, I want to have pure dedication, purely good intention. There's a special power to the beginning, the first start of something exciting and big. What that looks like in a family structure is that the eldest son, the Bichor, is expected to be fully dedicated to taking care of the family. Thus, the eldest son carries both the burden and the blessing of the responsibility for tending to the family's physical needs and spiritual needs. This is reflected in a benefit that an oldest son has. Upon the passing of his father, he inherits a double portion compared to his other siblings. The purpose of this greater inheritance is that he can tend to the physical needs of the family. He's responsible to care for those who are more vulnerable are young, unmarried, his widowed mother. For this purpose, he's given a greater share of property in the inheritance. And thus we come to understand a paradigm of what a Jewish king can be. The Jewish king can be the older brother of the entire society, the entire nation. And we pray for the day when we will have that older brother for all of us, who in fact can fully be dedicated to supporting the material and spiritual development of all his little brothers and sisters, rather than focusing more narrowly on his own needs. Let's see how that's expressed here with respect to Reuven. There's a lot of emotion packed into these two verses. The sons of Reuven, eldest son of Yisrael, he was the eldest son, and that was given over to the children of Yosef, and Yehuda was even a greater leader than he was. So what are we referring to here? There's a moment referred to in verse 1, yitzuei Aviv," when he disrespected the bed of his father. That word yitzue is extremely uncommon in Tanakh. It's pointing us to a very specific situation. Rashi, on the Gemara in Shabbos 55, explains that Yaakov Avinu had four wives, Leah, Rachel, Bilha, and Zilpah. During Rachel's lifetime, Yaakov's primary residence was in Rachel's home, When she died, Yaakov moved his bed, his living space, to Bilhah's home. Ruvain felt that this was a slight to his own mother, Leah, the first of the wives, and moved his father's bed to Leah's home or tent. He was meddling in his father's private, most intimate affairs. He was really out of line. But why is this such a serious problem? We need to widen our Zoom just a little to see more of the picture and context. When was Ruvain meddling in his father's private affairs. Let's take a look back into Bratius chapter 37. Ten of Yosef's brothers see him approaching from afar. They imagined him as one plotting against them and deserving of death. And they said to one another, Look, here comes the master of dreams. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We will say that a wild beast has devoured him, and then we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Ruvain said to them, Al Tishbechudam, do not spill blood. also El Habar Asher Bamidbar, throw him into this pit in the wilderness. Viyad Al bo do not set a hand against him. Hatsilo so adam El Aviv. He said this in order to save Yosef from their hands, with the intention of returning Yosef to his father. And when Yosef did reach his brothers, they took him and threw him in the pit. At which point Vayomar Yehuda El Yehuda says to the brothers, naharog esachinu vechisinu Estamo, what benefit would there be to killing our brother and trying to hide his blood? Let's sell him to Yishma'elim. Our hands will not have hurt him. He's our brother, he's our flesh and blood. Vayishma U his brothers listen to him. First we see Ruvain negotiating, conjoling his brothers, telling them, Don't harm the boy, put him into a pit, Reuven planning explicitly to come back, save Yosef, and bring him home. A few verses later, where is Reuven? Yehuda's the one who's talking to the brothers, who's saying, let's not kill him. Let's not have his blood on our hands. Let's sell him as a slave. And the brothers listen to him. Vayashav Reuven al habor And Reuven returned to the pit. Return from where? Vahine ain Yosef Babor. He is astonished. Yosef's not in the pit. Why is he astonished? They all were in on this. Where has Ruvein gone? Ruvain's heart was in the right place. But in the middle of a family crisis, when the group of brothers, his younger brothers, desperately needed his strong leadership and guidance, and his younger brother was in a dangerous situation, Reuvain went home to focus on personal business. And at that moment, where was Yehuda? Yehuda was there. Yes, he wasn't the oldest brother, but he was the strongest of them internally. He was saying, Don't kill him, sell him. It's not what Ruvain would have done if he had done it. But Ruvain didn't do it. And Yehuda did, and he saved Yosef's life. Ki Yehuda govar be'echav. Yehuda of all the brothers was strong. He showed his strength. Ula nagid mimenu. Kings would be born of him. So the prerogative of being the firstborn son and the leader in the sense of kingship shifted out of Ruvain's family line and into Yehuda's. We might sum up by saying that the quality of a Bechor, a firstborn son, is to be the leader of of the family. To be a melech, a king, is to be the leader of a larger family. This requires very broad shoulders and a very wide heart. Yehuda was strongest among the brothers. How did he earn that royalty? In the same way that Ruvein lost it. He was there, he was present, he stepped forward to be involved in the time of need. A Gemara in Brachostav Zion shows us a beautiful side to Reuven. Reuven's name, Ben, Reuven, see, my son, is given to him by his mother Leah, who says, see what a son I have. Compare him to what he could have been like his terrible uncle Asaph. Asaph, of course, being her brother-in-law. Asaph, too, was born a firstborn son. Asaph, too, lost that status to a younger brother. But whereas Esav kept trying to kill Yaakov in his anger and fury and humiliation, Reuven accepts the change. He is not jealous. He tries to save his brother Yosef. Reuven, I'm proud of my boy. So let's ask ourselves, why does Ezra report this backstory here in Divrei Hayamim? Again, it's not as a history. It's being held up as a mirror in which we are to understand the present day and the future day. Ezra reminds us how you get to a place of strong, firm, kind, just leadership. It starts with individuals willing to step forward, willing to take responsibility, willing to be there to share the pain and to provide guidance and leadership where and when it's needed without getting distracted by their own personal needs. It is in this that the tribe of Yehuda excels. The settlement history of the tribe of God begins in verses 11 and 12. Gad God were near them, be'aretz Habashan Solcha. They dwelt in the land of Bashan up until Solcha. The backstory to the tribes of Ruvain and God living on the eastern banks of the Jordan River are to be found in the book of Bamidbar, Parshas Matos, chapter 32. The cattle belonging to the children of Ruvain and the children of God were very many and mighty. And they saw this land on the eastern banks, the land of Gilad, and this place had a lot of space for flocks. So the children of God and the children of Reuven came and spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Elazar the Kohen and to the heads of the other tribes. They say, Gid rostzon nivne l'mekneinu po. We will build enclosures for our flocks and our property here. Arim l'tapenu and cities for our children. Says Rashi, They were more concerned for their property than they were for their sons and daughters. They preceded their concern. What they were going to protect first was their property, and only afterward, their babies. Moshe says to them, Locaine, not like this. Asuha ikar ikar veha tafel tafel. You need to make the first thing the first thing and the secondary thing the secondary thing. An ikar means a root or a primary thing. The tafel means what is secondary, what is metapel, what is meant to take care of the ikar. Your flocks, your property, that's there to support your family. Yes, it requires care. But not at the expense of the family. The purpose, the Ikar, is your family and your homes. First, you build yourselves cities to protect your babies. After that, you build enclosures for the flocks. The children of God and the children of Reuven accept Moshe's rebuke. And in their response, they switch the order to say, We shall build cities for our babies and enclosures for our sheep. They take the correction, and they're given permission to inherit the eastern side of the Jordan River. In one of the few other places where the word Yitzuai is used to refer to a bed, David HaMelech, of the tribe of Yehuda, first leader king of the Jewish people, expresses in Tehillim 132, Im avo ohel vesi Im eele al-eres Yitzuai, David HaMelech says, I cannot rest, I cannot sleep in my own bed and bed linens, while Hashem is, so to speak, unsettled. The divine presence is in a temporary dwelling, the Mishkan. How can I sleep at night in a solid stone home? Do you hear the contrast? How can I think of my own needs when there's someone else out there that I should be caring for. That is the difference in Yehuda over Reuven. That is the definition of a Jewish king. Reuven is one of the greatest people who ever walked this planet. This imperfection of his that wasn't resolved in his lifetime remains as a legacy that his children grapple with. Verses 18 through 22 tell us about a concerning episode in history. And of course, we know that Ezra doesn't include anything just for history's sake. The sons of Reuven and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were warriors, men bearing shield and sword, proficient with bow, trained for war, 44,760 men fit for combat, and they made war upon the Hagrites, Yitur, Nafish, and Nodav. They were helped against them, And the Hagrites and all that were with them were given into their hands, for they cried out to God in the war, and he answered them, because they trusted in him. So they captured their possessions, 50,000 of the camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 people. And many were slain, because the war was from God. Oh, doesn't your heart sink? Again, the value on the animals and the property coming before the people themselves. It hurts the heart. Rav Moshe Eisman, in his commentary in the art scroll Hayamim, suggests that the impact on the families left behind in God was not negligible. They were there for up to 14 years with no father figures in a land still populated by the native pagan cultures. According to the Midrash, Embracious Rabba 98 By the time that the warriors of God returned to their homes, they couldn't really recognize their own children. They had not only grown up, they had adopted fashions of dress from the surrounding culture. The haste with which Ru'uven and God let go of the dream of establishing their homes in Eretz Yisro was matched years later by their early exile in the days of Tiglath Pilneser, king of Assyria. Say our sages in Bamid Barabba. The heart of a wise man is his strong hand. The heart of a foolish man Is his weak hand. This is referring to the children of Reuven and the children of God who made their Ikar Tafel, who made the main thing the secondary thing, and the Tafel Ikar, and they made the secondary thing the main thing. They forgot their priorities. They forgot what values are primary. Shechibavu es Mamonam, they cherished their money, Yoser Minhana Fashos more than their families' lives. And because of that, they chose to live outside the Promised Land, and therefore they were exiled first of all the tribes. As verse 26 of our chapter says, Vayaglim And he exiled Reuven, God, and half the tribe of Menashe. Perhaps we may draw some distant comfort from verses 10 and 11 in references to the land of Gilad, belonging to Reuven, and the land of Bashan, belonging to God. There is a special, tragic poignancy notes, Rav Moshe Eisman, in the unique phrasing, Eloke Yisrael, the Lord of Israel, inspired the Assyrians to exile the tribes. Even as this first phase of building a godly society in Israel began to crumble and fall, God's love for His people, His commitment to stick with us for the long haul, Shines through. Verse twenty-seven, Bene Levi, Gershon, Kahas and the children of Levi are Gershon, Kahaz, and Merari. Verses twenty-seven through forty-one follow the line of Kohanim priests of the tribe of Levi, focusing on the children of Levi's son Kahas, ancestor of Aharon Hakohen, the first priest, and his son Elazar down through the entire series of high priests, Kohanim Gadolim that served from the time of the tabernacle in the desert and through the destruction of the first temple. The passage concludes in verse 41 with, b'haglos Hashem es Yehuda v'Yerushalayim. And Yehot the Kohen Gadol, went into exile with the people of Yehuda and Jerusalem. Be'yad Nebuchadnezzar, when God gave them over into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. It's a difficult stopping point for this chapter. We were dealing with the mists of time, with the beginnings of everything, and suddenly we hit an ending point, an exile. Let's just note that this Yehud the last Kohen Gadol to serve in the First Temple, was a brother of Ezra HaSopher, our author himself, who lived to see the building of the second temple. This Yeho the Kohen Gadol, had a son, Yehoshua, who became the first Kohen Gadol in the second temple. He was a tzaddik, he was a leader, he continued the building forward of God's edifice of history, generation after generation, from father to son. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas, Rose Foreman. Rezal Rahul, Bas Arya Leib, and Rachel Zeitlin.